Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Post Traumatic Survival Podcast, a show that helps you rewire your brain to survive and thrive. Join your host, Ozzy Martinez Jr., a Marine, a combat disabled vet, husband, and father, as he shares his firsthand knowledge and experience of hitting rock bottom, almost ending it all, and then turning it around. Dive into the rewired minds of thriving survivors. This show is an in-depth look at post-traumatic survival. And now, Ozzy. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you so much for joining me for my podcast. If you noticed, I didn't have one this Monday. Uh, unfortunately, as you heard, the previous Monday, my dog was sick. And unfortunately, the day right after that podcast release, I had to put my service dog to sleep. Uh, it's been a real hard, you know, a week and a half. Uh, I wasn't a well, week already. It's been a week exactly. We're actually recording right now on a Tuesday. So it's been a real hard week without Duke. Uh, I've taken him pretty much everywhere. He started college with me. He's even... He's even on the picture of my college school ID. You know, uh, the college loved him. So uh, he broke my he broke his promise in a way because I, I asked him to promise me to walk graduation with me. But he will. You know, I have his ashes that I'm going to put in a necklace. So um, just wanted to tell everybody, thank you so much for your support and prayers and all the messages I've received. I've received so many messages that have pushed me to now, you know, continue recording this podcast because one of the messages I received was was huge from a listener. She said that I am now Duke for a lot of individuals that are listening to my podcast. And that to me resonated so much in a way where I understand what she's saying. I am, I am someone right now that either makes you feel comfortable or something like that. And you don't even have to say anything back to me in return. And, and, and we've created a relationship with total strangers that I've, that I've done. So to receive that message, you know, I, I felt bad not releasing a podcast this past Monday because, but it was just a too overwhelming week for me to actually sit down and record. But I have an amazing guest with me today, and her name is Barbara Allen. Uh, she is a speaker, she's an author, and she's the co-host of an, a podcast called American Snippets that I was just on. Uh, it's an honor to have Barbara on here because she is a gold star uh, widow, and I, I definitely want to share her story because like I've told everybody that this isn't just for veterans. Um, I know this is military-related, but this is a civilian and this can go and relate to you in any other aspect. If you've ever had a loss in your family or anything like that, very, very traumatic, this can definitely help you in that aspect, hopefully, this podcast. So, Barbara, thank you so much for being our guest today. Oh, I love that I'm here. Thanks for having me. So I was going over here through your website and, you know, trying to do my little research on you like how you do. And... uh Oh, there we go. It's okay. No, I'm it's sorry. okay. This is really good. I am glad this just happened. This is really good because I'm going to let her answer this while I go ahead and speak. Right before we came on and started recording, she mentioned something to me. And it's something that um, you notice her phone just went off right now saying, Mom, Mommy. And that is her, one of her sons texting her. Yeah. And um, she mentioned something. She's like, I'm so sorry, Ozzy. I never do not have my phone with me. And what was it that you mentioned to me? Because I, I, I mean, this is a perfect example yeah, and, and it's, and I it's, mean, and it's 100% acceptable and totally understandable. 
And that's what I want my listeners to understand that what, why was it that, that this just happened? Or why was it that, <laughs> that you say that you never have your phone away from you? Uh, I rarely have my phone away from me and I just turned it back on in between interviews. And as we were, before we started recording, my oldest son, who is 21 now, sent me a text. He's off on an adventure in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And I'm like neurotic. You know, a lot of people say, step away from your phones, we're addicted to your phones. And that is hundred percent true. And I get that. But for me, there's a flip side to that because I missed the last time my husband called me. He called me a few hours before the explosion that he was injured in and ultimately died from. And for me, it's always been very difficult to step away from the phone. I never want to miss another call. I never want to be unavailable for my kids in particular. If they reach out to me and it seems like there are a few times where I've been like, oh, I'm going to step away from this phone. I'm going to, not going to worry. Things are going to be okay. And sometimes that works well. And other times there have been times I'm like, I'm going to put this phone down for 15 minutes or a half hour, leave it. And I mean, I set the phone down once as I was setting it down, my son texts me that he had just smashed a deer and was on the side of the road. Or just last week, I, I left, left the house without my phone, unprecedented uh, and by mistake, but I was going to do some work at a farm and I came, I was gone for a couple hours. I came home. My phone was lit up because my aunt had been taken to the hospital and she was dying. Like, you know, she died wow. the next day or something. And so for me, <laughs> I just feel like I don't want to be disconnected from the people I love um, or I want them to have an emergency way to get in touch with me. So I totally just went off. I totally, totally, <laughs> that's totally. That's my thing. Like that's something I'm still listen, struggling with. And, and yeah, <laughs> That's what I want our, our, my listeners to understand that it's normal. That is a normal thing. That is a huge trigger for you is to, to, to not have that ability to respond to someone when they're reaching out to you or calling you because yeah. you feel that they might be the last one. And, and um, you know, that's the reason why you're, you're on this podcast. So, so tell us a little bit more about that, you know, cause you know, going through, through here clearly, you know, it doesn't give that much information. I, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I haven't read your book yet. You're new to my life. I'm ordering your book already yeah, so that okay. that I could start reading it. But yeah, I got all you know, there. <laughs> it's all right. I always get, uh, I always cry on all my podcasts. So, oh, good. <laughs> I, I always cry on all my podcasts. So, so tell us a little bit because, like uh, you mentioned, you are your gold star widow, and you know, um, you, you gave us a little bit about it that your your, your husband was involved in an explosion. Um, there's more to it though, correct? Yeah. So, um, my husband deployed actually on Memorial day in 2005. So the last time I saw him was the day before he deployed. I drove up to Fort drum to see him and 10 days after he arrived into crit Iraq, he was killed. Uh, he and the commanding officer were killed in an explosion that was originally credited to a mortar attack, but very quickly turned into a homicide investigation when it was determined that the staff sergeant of the unit had detonated the Claymore mine outside the office where Lou was my husband and Phil was the commanding officer were seated. And Phil was, he was dead, you know, really gone, but they made efforts to revive him and save him even though they knew he, you know, he was gone and, but my husband was conscious 
and he was conscious for a few hours, you know, before, um, before he died. So we've heard of, you know, green on blue or blue yeah. on green, which is usually, you know, the Afghan forces, the, the individuals we're working with from another country, you know, hurting our, our troops, but this was actually green on green. This was an actual American service member that tried taking out another American service member in country. Yeah, he did take him out. Yeah, he yeah. Did. <laughs> yeah, he did. Uh, and it was on Fob Danger, ironically named, um, in Tikrit, Iraq. And it was the staff sergeant. Was, so this opened up the door to just... A huge investigation, I'm sure. When I when I share the story, sometimes I still think, holy shit, like this just can't be real, right? Yeah. Because it's so crazy. It is so crazy what happened it was staff sergeant alberto martinez by the way so even just talking to you like you're like hey martina you know the trigger. triggers my <laughs> you're just full of triggers for me today um but his name is uh, staff sergeant alberto martinez and he uh was he came into the national guard courtesy of a moral waiver uh, a mental waiver um and he just had the sordid history where i don't feel he should have been allowed into the military at all based on, you know, some criminal investigations he'd been involved in. And I mean, you said he had a waiver, just, um, so. <laughs> he had a, a mental waiver because he like scored so lowly on the ASVAB, took him three times to, to, to pass it. And he just didn't meet the criteria, but they gave him a waiver to, to enter the National Guard. And, you know, from the minute that that unit, those 42nd ID was told that they were going to be called up to Iraq, but the commanders, you know, the powers that be decided that they wanted a different commanding officer for the unit. They wanted a full-time army, you know, someone with more training to come lead that unit. So they selected West Point graduate, Captain Philip Esposito, who my husband had known and worked with previously in others. So my husband had great respect for Phil and my husband was ineligible to deploy with his unit because he had missed some training when I was having one of our kids, I think my third kid or fourth. Kid. <laughs> um, and so he had to still complete that training. And long story short, his unit deployed without him and Lou and Phil worked together to, <laughs> he never texted me. Um, Lou and Phil worked together to get Lou over to join the 42nd ID into crit when there was a problem with the supply sergeant, the, um, you know, Martinez resisted Phil's command. The whole, a lot of the unit resisted this West Point graduate coming in and bringing them up to speed. You know, they weren't back in the day. Lou would make fun of it, not make fun of it, but he joked good naturedly about weekend warriors and all this. The National right. Guard, but post nine eleven, that changed. Now, you know, you're in the military. You are in the military. It doesn't yeah. matter what branch you're in now. Uh, so there was a lot of resistance from the unit as a whole to a West Point officer coming in and assuming command of the unit. And Phil was like this no nonsense kind of guy. He had certain expectations, he wanted them met, but he would also go back if somebody was struggling, he would go out of his way to mentor that soldier and bring them up and work with them. And he would check on them, you know, after his normal hours were supposed to be ended, he was supposed to write, you know, he was all in on his soldiers and he would work with anybody who was struggling to try to get them up to where they needed to be and soldiers either accepted that and appreciated it or resisted it and martinez resisted it uh he was just that kind of guy that wanted to do 
nothing, you know, as little as possible. He just wanted his paycheck. He, and, you know, he had, he was under suspicion for burning his house down for insurance money. This is uh, the Martinez guy. Martinez. Uh, yeah. The staff sergeant, he, before he got into the military, you know, he was under investigation for arson, for burning his house down. They discovered bombs and shit in his basement. And uh, yeah, like you said, this was just a, a, like, a guy that shouldn't have been past the, no, the application process. <laughs> he should never have been allowed into the military for sure. And, uh, you know, like he was, UPS had fired him for theft of time and, and all sorts of stuff. But then he filed, he came back at them with a discrimination suit because he's Puerto Rican. And so they didn't want to get into, you know, being accused yeah. of discriminating. So they hired him back. I mean, just all sorts of, he was just a guy who knew how to play the system. And Barb, this happened in 2005 in Iraq. So, yes. I mean, it says here, I mean, you even had to fly to, you even flew to Kuwait to, I did to, go to Kuwait. To go I see did. this court martialing and everything that went on over there, because I mean, this happened. Then the court martialing happened immediately right after. No, because I mean, I no. know in the, no. No. <laughs> so there. No. So how did how did this happen? Because then, so you you see it in the movies, and I remember telling my mom and and everybody in my family that you don't ever want to see guys in uniform coming at your door. Oh. So. You said that they were in country in theater about a month. No, 10 days. 10 days. I'm sorry. Not even not even a month. 10 days. My husband was there 10 days. The unit had been there for six months. Okay. The you, so your, your, your husband went over to join the unit. So he had been there for 10 days. I mean, now I'm getting more of the picture in my head and I'm understanding it, how somebody, a unit can be there for six months and then all of a sudden they have a new command coming in and they're just mad or whatever. But you're talking about individuals that cared about you know, the soldiers and stuff like that. And I mean, we had, we had command changes and stuff like that. It just, it blows my mind that, that this could actually happen, you know, like, so yeah, Phil had been there with the unit the whole time. He worked specifically with Lou. The only one who really had a problem with Phil at that point was Martinez. Everybody else had simmered down. They settled into the routine but Martinez was being chaptered out. Phil called Blue and said, hey, I need somebody to fix the situation and supply. They were missing, NVGs were missing. <laughs> Martinez was taking like old printers and stuff and selling them on the black market and all sorts of things were missing. And Martinez had just gone out of control and Phil didn't know that he was walking around threatening his life. Wow. Phil had no idea that. But he was processing Martinez through an Article 15. He was going to be chaptered out. And Martinez was like, no, you're not, you know. And Phil didn't know that uh, Claymore had arrived at the unit, that Phil had, uh, Martinez gotten his hands on a Claymore that was not recorded on the books. And some grenades that were not recorded on the books. And Phil didn't know that. And... So, so Lou, he set I this up like on base, you're saying. I mean, this happened on, on the base. fob. On the fob. Was, I mean, that's why this is this is like movie shit. Yeah. You don't that's the one place where you you feel comfortable is the fob because everything else around it is trying to just come at you. Right. So it's so you're saying this this guy, I mean, he set up explosives, he set up an ID. Pretty much. Claymore Mine, which for people that don't know what it is, I used to walk around with a model of fake Claymore Mine and bring it to like Fox News and shit when I did it. Right. So it says says enemy, it says enemy towards the front. 
There's a little front towards enemy, right? Front front towards enemy and enemy, uh, right? Front towards enemy. It's a little green thing that's like almost somewhat of a a a weird happy face smile. It looks like or frown depending on you're looking at it. With the antennas, right? With the antennas, and then you stick it in the ground, and then the part where it says front towards enemy, that's shooting projectiles. All these steel beads of um, balls ball bearings pretty much it's what it's shooting out yeah, yes at 200 miles an hour there's yes. like a 100 meter kill zone in yeah. front of it and uh you know it's unsurvivable um at, at a close range so no definitely not yeah after he also threw three grenades after that to simulate a mortar attack uh you know he threw the grenades in the area so you know, you're, you get that knock on the door. It was six o'clock in the morning. My four little boys, they were six, five, three, and one year old. They were asleep. And, you know, the doorbell brings death to your door. <laughs> and like right in a, in a moment, yeah. in, in a moment, I had been up all night waiting for Lou to get back to me. I had missed his call the day before. He was supposed to call me back. We were going to video chat. I was up and down all night with the computer on loud, waiting for that little ding that signaled that he was there to talk to me. And all night, I'm like, Lou, where are you? Where are you? You know, I just had this. I knew since the day before at 522, I remember I was feeding my kids and I just got like punched in the stomach and I just fell over. Like I, and something, that was something the time that weird. he was, that was the time that he died, you know, in Iraq. But so something was telling me that. And uh, so the soldiers come and write that, right. You know, immediately there's, there's no buffer zone. There's no no, like assistance. Just these dudes come to the door. They end your world and you have to get your kids up and out the door and figure out how to tell them their childhoods are over and you have to call family. And like, I didn't have any resilience skills to speak of. I didn't, I had had, I was the most insecure person. You know, I was literally dealing with suicidal tendencies in seventh grade when I was attacked by all these girls for a couple of years. I grew up, like I used to literally dream of killing myself. So I used to draw dotted lines on my arm, you know, and I had no self-esteem, no comp because of some experiences I'd had growing up. And Lou was really, he was my anchor. He was my raw, he was my self-esteem. He, I felt like everything would be okay because I had Lou, you know, because I was growing into a, more confident person because Lou believed in me. Lou thought I was beautiful. Lou thought I was a great mom. Lou thought I was doing a good job running, you know, so um, he was just a natural kind of leader, happy guy. He just got things. And all that was that just taken get. away from you. And, 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 so and a knock on the so, door. Uh, yeah. All of that is just ripped. Like it's just gone in a minute. So the person I would turn to, to Lou, how do I get through this? You know, he, he wasn't there. So, um, yeah, you go through all that and then you come back and you find out it was actually like the next day, my, my command, uh, casualty assistance officer, my CAO came back to tell me that it had been changed to a homicide. So immediately the next day. Yeah. And I was like, what the, what the fuck, man, you know? And I remember the major, a major that Lou knew and really liked, and I had met him. Last time I saw this guy was six months ago at a wake where my husband presented the flag to another soldier's family. I remember looking at him and just like still, you know, like you're just still trying to make sense of this all. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. I really thought that everybody who served 
was like held to a higher standard than the rest of us. I thought that anybody who had the uniform, I was still just trying to understand how this can happen from somebody that wears the same uniform. And my husband and I had followed the 2003 case of Hassan Akbar. He threw grenades in a tent in Kuwait and shot soldiers running out. Um, We had been following that case. So we knew it could happen, but we just thought that that was like some bizarre exception to the rule. Right. So now it happened again. I was trying to understand and this major just looked at me and he laughed this major sitting in my front yard and picking, laughed at me when I said, I don't understand. I thought they were all, and he just shook his head and he was like, you have no idea. And he just went on about how the military is just another society. And it has all these segments of society. There's good people, bad people, there's pieces of shit in the military. To, and, and this is just so two like days all, after all of my illusions were just, they were just like it was like somebody was just oh my goodness just destroying all of these and it was like one thing after another after another just kept destroying everything i knew and held sacred and believed in i just couldn't believe in it and so yeah we had a i met the other widow we didn't know phil was dead at that moment finally i was like you know what everybody's lying to me i don't believe a single thing anyone of your assholes is telling me put me on the phone with phil right now get me i need to talk to phil because i knew phil and that's how we found out that Phil was killed. This was like a week later or a couple of days later. That's how we found out Phil was killed too. We were like, what? You know, so as I got in the car from the cemetery is when my CAO said to me, hey, there's been an arrest. They arrested the staff sergeant of the unit. And you're just like, hello, you know? And, you know, at that point, I wanted, I'd wanted to die. I mean, I dealt with major suicide i went through what i call actively suicidal phases and passive suicidal i don't know if those are real terms but that's what i, I know call we them. make up our own i, I make up my yeah. own terms too for everything i go through now and i'm like no this is actually what it's called this is yeah, it this is i it. don't know if that's a real term but i went through you know i was actively suicidal for a moment where i sat there with the pills in my hand i'd be given sleeping pills because i wasn't sleeping yeah. I just, I could hear my kids playing in the other room with my mom. And I just a hundred thousand percent believe that I was just worthless. And I was just going to be like this jellyfish. I believed my kids deserved better than me. I believed that I was not going to be able to, I wasn't going to do this. Like this was just bigger. There was just no fucking way I was going to get through this. Right. So I believed if I just took myself out, that my kids would have a fighting chance that somebody else would be able to raise them. I had so many strong people in my family and that they would be better off. And I was like, well, you know, they're still so trauma. Trauma is so fresh and then they'll just absorb it. It's not like, you know, it'll just be one thing they'll roll. And I went through all these things in my head. Right. And, you know, something stopped me that day and I begged and I prayed. I finally got a counselor in and she helped me. And, and then I just turned to what you were talking about when I interviewed you, what I call passively suicide. I just started taking chances. I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to kill myself because that would not be cool. Um, But if I do this or that and I take this chance or that chance and I happen to die along the way, well, you know, so be it. You know, I would drive faster. I would crash into waves that I couldn't swim through. I would get on my horse that I just got that I had no business getting right on with no helmet and gallop up a hill. If I fell off, I got a concussion. You just lived on the edge more. I just lived on the edge. You know, I took chances and... I would sit in the driveway and like try to will my body to die. So maybe, you know, all these and, things. And know? it's, it's crazy because I want, I want other individuals to understand yeah. something. If this is what we're doing, if we're, if we're leaving it up to 
the powers that may be yeah. and we're living on the edge and nothing's fucking happening to us we need to start realizing it's a sign you know yeah. like it's a sign dude you're not supposed to go you're not supposed to take your life because it's going to happen to you when it happens i've already learned that and yeah and i think it's 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 hard it's that's where people i guess stay in that that zone all the time where then they they linger until they either do it themselves or until something happens but we need to start realizing sooner than later um because for me it took years and years and years that if you haven't been taken out right now then you need to do something with it you know and as i read here like i said it says here that you know you 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 had to eventually going to these court marshals and stuff have to learn military you know criminal justice and stuff like that it says you earned a master's and you obviously i know you wrote a book but yeah. what you went from a few minutes ago telling me that you know you ha you have what's possibly called you know complex ptsd it comes from other things you know you had childhood uh, bullying and stuff like that that affected you to the point where you were suicidal at a young age or you you just weren't happy with your life at a young age and now it broke your self-esteem this happens to you but this isn't who i'm talking to i'm not talking to a low self-esteem broken individual so what is it that happened what at what point is it that you turned from saying like you said i'm looking here at my pills hearing my kids in the distance saying i'm no good for them to the individual that I have in front of me right now, that is 100%, I think, feels sure of herself, wrote a book, is running a podcast. I mean, you're, 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 you're handling hay, uh, bales of hay the other day. You're just like, <laughs> you're living life now again. You're, what yeah. happened to you? What, where did that change come? What, what, did you wake up one day? Like, when? When did you realize, all right, fine, I'm, I guess I'm not supposed to die? Um, when I went to Kuwait... And I was in the room with a piece of shit that killed my husband. Um, I decided, you know what? I didn't die because I transferred my purpose to living. I broke my purpose for sticking around to two things. One was my children. I realized my children did need me and I was going to be here and do whatever I could for my children. And the next was revenge. The other thing, I lived to see him die. Um, I felt like my mission was to make this guy suffer and to make sure the whole world knew what happened and make sure I figured out where what happened, what went wrong, who is responsible, how it can be stopped from happening to anybody else. You know, so I live, but that's a mistake. That's that's just transferring. It's not learning, it's just making the same mistake twice because the first time I lived, I centered my existence on my husband and being his wife that as long as I was my husband's wife, I was going to get through no matter what happened. Right. But that's an outcome I had no control of. And then I did it again. I just attached my well-being to another outcome I had no control of. And when you do that, when you say, I will only be okay. If I will only be okay, if that happens, I will only be okay. If that does not happen. You're just setting yourself up to, mm -hmm. to fail. You're just setting yourself up. And it sounds cold to put it this way, but it's not until you get to the point where you say, if this happens, it's going to take me down and hurt me, but I will be okay. The second you attach your well-being to, I'm only going to be okay if I get this job. I'm only going to be okay if yeah. I get 
healed. I'm only going to be okay if she doesn't die. I'm only going to be it's like, no, but <laughs> you know? that's your mistake. So I made the same mistake twice. I attached, I again, just reattached my well-being to another outcome I had no control over. And I paid for that too, because we watched Martinez be acquitted at a court martial after three and a half years. We went back and forth. First, we went to Kuwait. Then we went to North Carolina, Fort Bragg, North Carolina from New York. I would get a phone call one day and I'd be in the car driving. I, I could do that drive in nine hours, by the way. I got I knew the rest stop. I knew I would just fly. But it takes most people like 14 or 11, maybe. If I did it in nine. Um, but and back and forth to Fort Bragg, we would go sometimes for a 15-minute hearing sometimes for a hearing that would start on Friday, but get delayed and we'd have to stay the weekend and be there till wow. Monday. You know, we're meeting with prosecutors, lawyer. It's just this world that I didn't know. I wasn't military. I was national guard. Yeah, I tell people, I, I tell people that, that our military laws are different. I mean, they're not, they're not, a, they're not the same as civilian laws, the UCMG. Yeah. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know protocol. I didn't, I didn't know a thing. And I was just angry, you know, and we were dealing with two big, angry families and it was a disaster. It was just so bad. Because <laughs> so how, how does it go? I mean, how does that happen that, that you have a guy that's going to plead guilty at one minute? And then, like you said, you, you, you put your, your dependent on this, the second, yeah. the, the second mistake you made, you said, and, and <laughs> the guy was going to plead guilty and is found innocent. So in the military, your attorneys are only permitted to submit a guilty plea if they agree that they agree with the guilt. If they if they are acknowledging that there is enough evidence to convict their client, they are only allowed to submit that. And both of his attorneys signed that plea deal when we were about two years into the process. And the convening authority, Lieutenant General John Vines, I mention him all the time. <laughs> For some reason, we will never be told, said no. We were not, he instructed the judge and the prosecutors not to accept the plea. And then he instructed them not to tell the families about it. So we never knew the plea existed. Uh, and a year or so later, and then we watched the trial crumble. We watched it fall apart. We could see things happening. I was in close contact. I built a good relationship with the one prosecutor who stayed on the case the entire time while the rest of the team constantly switched out. The two defense attorneys stayed the whole time. I learned, I studied, I started my degree. I started meeting other widows of uh, murdered soldiers and, and all this stuff. And I was learning and educating myself and I'm watching things go sideways and I don't trust anything that's happened. We're being lied to. This is being covered up. This isn't happening. One thing after another, the jury seated, even the jury, a husband and wife on the jury. Exactly. What? You put a husband and wife on the jury. Um, oh, that's who, one vote right there. That's yeah, just one. And like our judge recused himself and the, um, the top attorney for the United States military appointed himself to this case and then continued to dismantle it. He seated the jury and, you know, I mean, it just sounds fact, like it sounds like they didn't just want a black eye for the army. Like they just didn't, they didn't. want, there was something going, they didn't want him convicted. At one point Martinez looked at, and you know, I found out criminal, the CID, they messed it up. I mean, I had the CID agent who first interrogated Martinez. That interrogation was thrown out because he did it improperly. Um, that confession was thrown out or not so much a confession, the interrogation. Um, but 
uh, you know, he was in, he came to the apartment I rented. He asked me if I could get him some weed. I'm like, what? I, uh, what? I thought you were here to tell me about the case. You want some weed, you know? And then he starts crying, tell me about marital issues. The special agent in charge was having an affair with the original prosecutor on her case. The defense attorneys found out they like kind of held that over his head. I mean, it was a total shit show. Up on the stand. It was a shit show. Um, uh, Colonel Fiore, who is the jury forewoman, when a uh, captain or a major wanted to continue debating or are you discussing the deliberation, she told him to sit down and shut up. Um, you know, like just uh, one thing after another, after another happened. So, and then after the acquittal happens, I come undone and like the next day I get my hand, the next day I find out about the plea by somebody I had developed a relationship with um, outside of all this, you know, who had inside track and I got a copy of the plea. And as I'm sitting there with a copy of the plea in my bag that I know this general that I'm meeting with also has a copy of the plea. So now we have two copies of the plea sitting next to each other in bags. He doesn't know I have it. I know he has it. I look him in the eye, I say, hey, what? I don't understand how this happened. I thought he pled guilty. And he looked at me right in the eye and said, no, he never did. Huh. I'm like, oh, no, you didn't. And so I gave a copy to the reporter who was covering our case for the New York Times. And it ran on the front page of the New York Times. You know, and there was a little bit of a whoop to do, but then it all just went away. You know, they're the military, I'm me. Yeah, and well, I'm not coming out against the military, you know. Why coming out so against angry? the way it was treated, the way it was yeah, handled. I feel like I feel like no one in the military should be exposed to that. Nobody who serves should have to. Now we see this soldier for Hood, who was just her body was just found killed by another soldier yeah. on base, yeah. on base killed, and then we find out that uh, you know the Utah mayor who deployed to Afghanistan left five children and wife behind. He was killed by an Afghan that he was training. Yep. This stuff is continuing to happen, and yeah, there I are mean, warning signs. I have, there are warning signs out there. I have a friend of mine, Mary Keel, and her brother was a Green Beret, um, and he was killed by an Afghan soldier that they were working alongside with. Yeah. So, I mean, even at the highest levels of special forces, he was a captain in the Green Beret, um, Andrew uh, Andrew. Peterson uh, Keo or Peterson Keo. I, I, I always mess up the middle name, but I've, ne I've learned so much about Andrew because I met Mary after he was murdered and the same thing. It was blue on green and it just, it, it happens. And like you said, yeah. there's signs, there's signs, there, there's things that could have been prevented. And in, in some cases, I hate to say it, but it's like you fit into this demograph. So we're not gonna, we're going to overlook that because it's good to have you in the Marine Corps, it's good to have you in the yeah. army. We need you because yeah. you know. Right. So, what so, did you, how, mean, what did you do after this? How did you recover after this? I didn't. I just kept going down. <laughs> I had so, so now, I say that you know grief takes a person and puts all of their experiences and emotions and skills in a blender and just turns them all up and pours out a new version, right? Because, I mean, by this time, your kids are now then nine, nine, eight, six, and three, and four. Yeah. And they're still, I mean, I, I know what that is. I have an eight and a four-year-old. So it, you have to be engaged there all the time. And yeah. I, I made a lot of mistakes that my kids paid for. You know, again, my self-esteem 
down. I had, and there were some things that happened with family members that really sort of traumatized me more and left me feeling all alone. And I got into a relationship with someone because I felt my kids needed a big, strong man. Like I wasn't going to be enough. And I got into a relationship with somebody who was you know, a good person underneath, but also suffering from his experiences. And that ended badly. And I, that upset my kids. And then I wound up like, I don't know, within a year or so meeting somebody else who I like, if I saw this person coming at me now, you wouldn't even get up my driveway, you know, but he was able to manipulate me and prey upon me. He created a whole history for himself that never existed. And I just believed him. Right. And it turned out he was like, just terror. He was just, honestly just a bad person. And he had addictions on top of that. And so, you know, he really put us all through different layers of hell and left me in debt. Like, I mean, the guy got an arrest warrant in my name from using my car. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just you name it, I've been through it. So addiction, he'd be unconscious on the floor. He'd wake up, he'd scream at me. The emotional abuse was terrible. Just starting to like slip into other layers of abuse, you know? And so I, I had to go there, you know? I, it took me all that. My friends, my family would watch me going through this. And finally, one friend looked at me and she's like, I can't help you anymore. I can't help you stay anymore. But when you're ready to leave, when you're ready to get your shit together, then you call me But you can't keep calling me to give you strength to stay because I'm out, you know? And I was like, Oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to lose my friend, you know? And, and, um, then, you know, finally it was like, finally I got him out and I just felt so good. But then it took me years to, but like that day I, I was like, no, I'm done. I'm like done. I'm sorry. I'm done. I'm going to make up for some lost time. I need to get real with myself. I need to figure, I need to just admit that I made things worse. I need to be the mom my kids need. I need to be here. I need to, I need to get, it's time, you know, time to get up. But that was like 10 years after my husband was killed. Wow. So 10 so, years. Um, and you know, I had good times with my kids and I'm there, I'm going to their school, right. I'm there, mean but but you know, like I get what you're saying. It was the same thing I with me. I struggled, need. right? I struggled with that whole I need to with that whole reflection of really looking in the mirror. But yeah. it's crazy that you could look in the mirror, I guess, as you're going down that hill, going down to, into that pit, and it's whatever. It's not that bad. But once you're really at the bottom, that you look in the mirror, and you've I tell everybody that I remember as as I was going down, it was. I would look in the mirror, I'd see me and everything behind me was blurry in the mirror. But then all of a sudden when I hit rock bottom, everything was clear. I was like, oh my God, like, yes, I've had good times, but I am bad. I'm doing bad. Like, it's not yeah. normal to think of wanting to kill yourself or to think of, fine, I, I'm not going to kill myself because I don't want to be found like that. Listen to the, 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 the right, thinking right, behind right, it. I don't right. want to kill myself because I don't want to be found like that but I'm okay with getting hit by a bus. Like, are you kidding me? The bus is going to destroy me too. So, <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> but you see, we laugh yeah. about it now because we, it, we thought about these things and you, it, but you don't think really think about it. But then when you finally look in the mirror and like how you said, for me, I looked in the mirror and I looked at my son behind me and my pills were there. And that's what I, I started realizing the causes of 
yes, the main cause was what happened to me with PTSD that caused me PTSD, but the way I've handled it was what made it worse. And, you know, when you looked in the mirror, you know, what was it that, that really then like made you, like you said, that's it, this is it. You looked up and you said, this is it. I mean, I know for me, it was my kid. I'm sure for you, it was your four kids. Um, but, but like, what else was it that you looked and said, that's it. I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be that woman that's, that needs the man or that's depending. Like I want to be Barbara Allen and I want to get my master's and I want to be a speaker. I want to write a book. How did that happen? Because I mean, everything that you're saying right now, I don't, I can't comprehend, you know, you sound like so, so low self-esteemish that to still 10 years after when that happened in 2015, that we're only five years away from 2015. Now, how did that happen in five years? You know? Um, well, I wrote the book during the trial and that book, if, it's like a heavy, intense book. And I wrote it like on a mission to share the truth. Right. And, um, but when I finally got that guy out of our lives and that was an exhaust, if ever anybody's ever been in an abusive relationship, it's so easy for people to say, why don't you just get him out? Like, how did you, but you know, the emotional manipulation control, you really have to like unfuck your brain to get out of there. I, I didn't even ask you if I could curse. But oh, hell yeah. Of course. I told you, I told you during our interview, I was like, Hey, I don't know if I could curse on yours, but on mine, All I right. could curse. So. But so, I mean, that's why you have to, you really have to, it's not something anybody can point out to you. It's something you have to see yourself. And mm-hmm. I didn't see it, but when I finally, what happened to me, he wound up getting himself into a hospital for like some, somehow he wound up at a hospital for three days and he was like in the psych ward or something. And, it sounds like he like snuck out and got a call to me, but he wasn't supposed to be sneaking out. But that's how I found out that he was in the psych ward. And I literally, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have three days without his presence. Like, whew, like the light shone. And then I was like, well, I am never letting that presence back into this house. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. That, that's like, I don't want this to be three days. You know, I want it. So that's where I made the decision him out but then i saw how to work with his family get him into rehab it was a disaster a horrible situation but i finally get him into rehab with this family because i still feel responsible right, right. i still feel like i can't just abandon he's not going to come back but i'm not going to let him die you know because i'm a human being he's a human being right yeah. was, right there was blah, that blah, process blah. that I, we were together during that time so yeah all right his mother said to me he's going to kill himself it'll be your fault i already lost the son you know not one thing after so anyway so it's my 40th birthday and i'm all alone and on my 42nd birthday and I'm all alone and I I'm outside in the driveway and my phone rings and it's him. It's a collect call from rehab from my ex fiance. Now on my 42nd birthday, I'm like, Oh, at least the asshole is going to call and say happy birthday. But he just wanted more money from me after he had literally decimated my checking account. I had thousands of dollars of debt. I had nothing in the account and he was calling to ask me for money. And I remember I like that call. I like, hung up i dropped the phone i just fell to my knees right in my driveway and i just started bawling like stop like what has happened to my like what did i let happen and then like within those minutes i was like oh that's it like all right i get it now i get it (laughs) i'm finally here i finally understand it is time for me to get myself up and like take my goddamn life back like this is 
this is it. I like, tell people that, that is the last minute, the last moment I'm ever going to feel like that. So ever that's, again. that's the point in time where I tell people yeah. that our body and our like, cause I remember it sometimes just feels like you're just flowing through the day yeah. when you're going through all this stages of PTSD and stuff. You're going through the day, your brain isn't there and your body is just going, this is the point in time when you're, when you drop on your knees I, and the same thing happened to me in the shower, I was praying and asking and I finally dropped on my knees and I was like, okay, my life did change. That, that reunion killed my, the life, had, that reunion gave me the opportunity to yeah. kill the life I had. Do exactly right. what I wanted. Kill it. To end it. And, and that's the point where your body and your brain finally, whoop, like come back together. And you're like, now you're one again. And you realize, wait, I could control, my brain can control my body. You know, like I can do this because your thoughts are being so controlled by everything else that you, you just, like I said, you flow through the day. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, making the decision felt great, but then you have to actually do it. Yep. And that's when the work begins. You know, So I just went all in. I ate a lot of humble pie, made a lot of apologies to myself, to my kids, to my yeah. friends, to my family, you know, um, and I just started studying. I became obsessive. I started reading stories of survival, watching survival. I started stop paying attention to like stories of murder and crime and hate and anger. And I started like, replacing that with stories of faith and inspiration and survival. I found people who would overcome all these challenges and I watched their talks. So I went to their websites, I read their books. I started like just learning and surround changed who I surrounded myself with. And I stopped accepting help from organizations that existed to help our families. And, and I joined the board of one instead, you know, and uh, I just started taking those steps. I worked my ass off. A friend gave me, I have, um, an opportunity to work for the county as a veteran services officer. And I got to add value that. back. Um, and I got to start making money and clear up some of the debt that I had been left in and start making these strides. And, and to you I went back personal. out in the dating world, but I had a committee of friends and I put <laughs> all these, I put these guys to the committee and I'm like, you're my committee. Don't let me like do that again. You know? And now I'm engaged to an amazing person and we're partners in American snippets, but it all, you gotta, it's a struggle, you know, still every day you have to fight for it. You have to forgive yourself. Yeah. You know, there's so much involved. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm sure people then would, people do the same yeah. to you. I'm sure that they do to me. Oh, you're, you're cured. You're, you're, you're done. You're over it. Like, no, you're, you're not over it. I mean, look what just yeah. happened today. Like you said, I mean, you're having a podcast, two podcasts, yours and then mine yeah. with a guy named Martinez, you know, and, yeah. and, and then you had to introduce me, you know, I have yeah. Ozzy Martinez Jr. Like, it, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's, a, it's such a story that like it proves the not giving up and, and, and it proves the whole where really, I think it's, 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 it's in someone else's control. It's in somebody else's yeah. control, our life. Now, I mean, I guess the, the start and date of it, end of it is in control. We're in control in between it. But we get sometimes to the point where we want that, that power to control our life. And we pray for this to end and we pray for this to get fixed and all this stuff. And we think that everything is there in control, you know. But in reality, you realized when you dropped yeah. on your knees that, no, you are in control between the born date and the dead date. So you need to make, you know, the best out of it. So what did you get your master's in, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I, um, I got my master's in criminal justice through American Military University. So you really went in and, and wanted to learn about 
you know, the criminal, I guess, the, the, the mind, the mentality, the way that it's dealt with. I mean, what was the... And I wanted to understand the system. The system. And I wanted to have more credibility when I wrote my book. So I, when I wrote about the legal aspect, I would have credibility. You know, I spent three months attending another court martial, capital court martial, for another soldier who killed two more soldiers. And I met those families and I consulted with the government expert on that case. And, you know, he worked with the FBI. He was a director of the uh, behavioral analysis unit. And he wrote a workplace violence prevention policy. He was on the committee. And I put that policy up against seven cases in the military that I researched. And I realized that if that FBI's workplace violence prevention policy was applied in the military, we would have dozens of military service members still with us today. Um, so, uh, you know, I just, I needed to understand yep. and I needed, I needed to know. No, I, I, I you know what? I, <laughs> I get you because yeah. that whole credibility thing is important, but the understanding is the bigger part. Cause it's the reason why I decided at 37 or 30, well, I'm 38 now. So at 37 to start college. Um, yeah. I, I've never, you know, I, I, I never, I don't have, I, I didn't have any credits or anything. I've been in it now for a year and a half, but my goal is to study psychology. I don't know really yet where I'm going to take it. I don't even know if I'm going to become a doctor. Maybe I will. My whole purpose behind it though, is to learn more about the situation, what it is that's going on with my brain, my body, how it's reacting. So that the same thing that you're doing, you, you attended other court marshals and stuff like that. So then I could turn around and help veterans out because I'll tell you what, if I would have been able to like introduce you to Mary and stuff like that, there's, it's that bond of that like-minded individual. And, and I, and I preach about that a lot in my, in my organization when I speak that that's the purpose behind, we only take guys that either serve together in Iraq or serve together the same unit or in Afghanistan or guys that are purple heart recipients. We try to keep guys together so that I don't have one guy that never left the base and one guy that got blown up and as a triple amputee, they have nothing in common, you know? So you did the amazing thing of getting to now learn the system so that you could help, I'm guessing other gold star families and stuff like that, that, or, or at least you just wanted to make sure that this never happened again is what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah, both of that. Um, I haven't really succeeded in, in the latter because, you know, it's just me. And uh, oh boy, the look at this. Doesn't, doesn't want to hear me. Look you at know? this. Just you and me talking about stuff like that. And I got an alert on my phone that says military police responding to an active shooter situation at Marine Corps base in Southern California. Shelter in place order in effect. See, that when I see those things, it physically impacts me. Like I've, you know, it, it just actually gets me deeply because I don't understand what it's like to be in an active shooter situation and to have a family there. But I just, you know, there was a shooting in Maryland, I think, and like the soldiers are not, you're not allowed to have weapons on base. Like, yeah. are you fucking kidding me? And yet we have these yeah. situations. I mean, in the army, you had that whole incident. Was it Fort Hood? Or I, I forgot where it was that that, that gentleman went and turned around and killed yeah. 12 people. Yeah. Um, which by the way, had those warning signs been noted, Correct. he wouldn't have been. This is what we're uh, talking so, about. This is why it's important to bring this up. These warning signs yeah. are there and people are so scared of either, you know, marking somebody or something like that. When at the end of the day, you're making more damage. If you don't actually call these people out that, that the signs are, are there. And I mean, these are 
obvious warning signs what I'm yes. talking about. This was one of the most common warning signs, I think, in five of the seven cases. Those were just the random cases that I studied. Now, there are more than that, but those are just the ones that I pulled, um, were that the individual was being disciplined uh, by his superior, his commanding officer. So most often it was the officers he went after and, and killed, but others would get taken out or in some cases, um, they asked for help. They came, they went for psychiatric help, said, I am feeling homicidal. I am feeling these anger. I feel these urges. I Nothing. need help. And they were medicated and sent on their way when they had asked for help. So yes, they're still accountable, obviously, but you know, they like, what more could they do? You know, Nothing. And, and the so thing is that we're numbers, we're numbers. It's, it's very yeah, plain and simple. Yeah. It's we're numbers and it's hard to take a guy out and replace that guy or girl back. Right. It's, it's hard to do that. Right. So it's easier to just keep them there. So I, yeah. And it is, there's so many lines to walk and balances to be struck because you don't want everybody turning on each other and calling each other. in. Correct. But at the same time, there's a difference between, Oh God, I wish that guy would fucking die or already, or I'm going to frag that fucker. Yeah. Like, you know, hello. Um, so a certain thing. And I think that certain language just shouldn't be tolerated. Like you Correct. should never be able to, openly say wish death upon and act it like no, just create that all. policy create that policy and then you have something to fall back on Correct. if you suspect that this is you know so there are just so many things that could have been done should have been done um and it just i i can't stand seeing these case these this fort, fort hood soldier who was murdered on base really impacts me deeply she was only i think 20 years old you know and she and, was and it's like on base and killed. But and, I think there's oh, more. Come on. There's actually the reason why it bothers me even more is because of what's actually happening, I guess, in that area. There's just there's more soldiers that have either been killed this or what I'm hearing or so, have yeah. gone missing in that base, in that area. So yeah. is there really a silencing issue going on here? You know what I'm saying? Like, are we? Well, I've experienced to... it. So I would say yes. Yes. I, I 100%. That's why you know, I like... had when I was speaking up against this, it got to a point where I think my son was eight years old and he saw our house. Phone. I saw a house phone with caller ID. He saw a Washington, D.C. number pop up. Two one two Washington D.C. He's like, "Uh oh, mom, what'd you do now?" Because hmm. who'd you who'd you make mad? I was getting like the IRS froze my checking account. I had um, you know Secret Service kind of escorted me out of the White House from a Gold Star visit uh, when I snapped back at uh, at, um, at the current president, at the president Cheney. that you had. No, at Cheney oh, the vice president okay. saying something. You know. Um, well, because it was like a series of things. Uh, first, Connolly Reese said something stupid. Then Bush kind of he's like how are you doing i'm like i'm doing fine you know because i knew this winter he's like no how are you really doing i'm like oh how am i really doing this was like right after the acquittal you know yeah. so i told him how i was doing he didn't like that i you know that ended and cheney said something stupid and i snapped at him like yeah uh and then the um secret service like yeah. kind of escorted me out my kids are like mom you know but <laughs> so, but it happens yes. and when you speak up it's like instead of addressing the issue they address you let me tell you it, it, you're saying how this most recent case with uh that, that soldier vanessa and i mean it tore me up seeing her family speak it just yes. tore me tore me up tore me up um and i'm i'm i i I hope that they stay as fiery as those two sisters were speaking and screaming about. If they I, we do want not, answers. they will be buried. 
If yes. they do not stay fired up, the, the case the will case be will be buried. buried. That's why I'm saying I hope they stay like that because the they media seem... will move on, public attention yeah. will move on. Correct. And something else will happen. Well, that'll take the public's eye away. And and, and no, this actually not... just needs to stop. Yeah. I mean, it, it just needs to stop. We need to start. We need to start holding these individuals accountable. That's the problem that I think is also happening. Accountability is just not being there. Like you said, this case was dismissed in your husband's incident. I mean, or just whatever, just thrown out or just pretty much. That's what it feels like when the guys found not guilty. Like, are you kidding me? Um, yeah. Oh my goodness. And and then now, like I said, this happens that the, the text message, it brings up, you know, a lot of things and a lot of anger in you and stuff like that. Barbara, what are your, what is it now that you are focusing your life on? So you, you become a speaker, you have a podcast and you're an author, you know, what is your, your, what is your honest main mission out there? You know, that, that, that you speak, you speak out for, is it, is it just the gold starness or, you know, the the gold star families type of stuff, or is it really the story of, of overcoming an adversity that, that you've been through? It's definitely overcoming. It's um, I've developed a program. It's called train your pain because um, if you don't train your pain, your pain's going to train you. Right. And so, my fiance and I did one event for Gold Star Women where we had like Krav Maga instruction and business leadership and, and all this stuff. And that was really great. And now I'm developing a program like that for women with Krav Maga, with firearms training, with business leadership, because I want women to be able to be, you know, to not feel like I did, right? And, and um, together we're working on, we have our podcast, which we feature people, you know, who do things with their lives that inspire and impact others and prove that you can still do what you want in this country. You just have to work for it. Yep. And we have an event we're planning for next year. It's the Great American Summit. It was supposed to be this year. Okay. Now we have to bump it to next year, but that's probably better because we're building it stronger and more forcefully. And it is an event that centers on patriotism, the American dream. We have speakers who are waiving their fees to come speak. Big speakers. Ray Kerr said he'd come. Um, Where's speak. it at? We have, um, it's going to be in Arlington, Virginia, like 15 minutes from the Pentagon. All right. Well, if you send me, if you send me the dates, I'll, I'll, I could try to work around it and I'll, I'll be there if you, if you would want my support as well. Yeah. Thank you. We need all the support we can get. And it is going to be about um, connecting people with resources and leaders in this country who can teach you how to take that vision you have and turn it into a reality. And it's going to have a patriotic theme. It's all about the American dream. It's celebrating this country. So that's what we're working on is bringing Americans together. Our audience tends to be conservatives because people who are on the left, they see patriotism. That's bad. They don't really yeah. want much to do with us. <laughs> no, I don't know why. For, you know, we get a lot of no's. When we yes. reach out to people who are on the left, we get told no. And but then we get people from the left telling us we're abusing our platform. We're, we're not really so like But I, we didn't set out to be a conservative platform. It's what we're turning out to be because that's who are that's who's drawn to our message. Right. Um, and so it's about really we're about patriotism, American pride, nationality, rebuilding. We feel like if you strengthen, learn how to strengthen yourself, you can strengthen your family, your strong families, create strong communities and strong community creates a strong country. country. Yep. So that's, that's our four tier system that we're focusing on now. I love it. I, I honestly love that. The the mindset behind it. I'm, I'm glad I, I just heard about it because now, like I said, I, I don't, I don't, I'll waive my fee or anything. I'll go and I'll, and I'll be there for your event. If, if that, if you would love to have me there, that'd be great. Um, 
Barbara, thank you so much for joining us today because it was, uh, to me, it was, it was something new in interviewing a gold star uh, family member. I know so many of them and I just, to me, it's always, I never want to bring them through the, through that, you know, but you've actually owned it. You know, you've, it's yours, it's your story. And it, you realize that you're the one that's going to say it the right way and, and with passion. So I, I appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing your story of your struggle, of what you went through, of, you know, of, of the, uh, the betrayal you felt, you know, and, and to me, it's amazing how instead of hating this country and, and, and everything in it, you've decided to try to make it better. And that to me is huge because you're, I've, t I told that to J to, uh, Ray, Ray cash care. And in my interview with him, you know, he came on and spoke about opened up. I never, you know, he always told me he had nothing to speak about PTSD and he comes on my show and opens up about childhood abuse mm -hmm. that he was abused as a child. And, uh, I turned around to him and when I told him, I was like, man, Ray, you know, it's amazing, dude. I hear you, I hear Jay. I hear so many other of our friends now that we have because I've surrounded myself with individuals like this and I've met you, I've met, you know, I've heard so many stories and I'm like, man, we have these like real shitty stories that would have burned anybody else down. And we took that fire instead and put it inside and it's fueling us now to try to make everything that we thought was wrong that got us to that point right, you know? And to me, I think that's that just takes an amazing, uh, you know, force from a human being that had like you said had been through so much that didn't you didn't have confidence in yourself and and all this stuff and look what you're doing now you're gonna you're turning around and you want to make women stronger teach them that no you there's nothing wrong with being in the same level as your partner your husband or anything like that there's nothing wrong with that as a matter of fact that's going to make your marriage possibly stronger because now he doesn't have to carry the weight or anything like that so i think it's amazing that you didn't dwindle away when others would have and that's the reason why i wanted you on the show because you are a true thriving survivor i mean you are surviving and thriving after your world ended once and then twice again when you found out that the man was you know not guilty so thank you so much for being on our show yeah thank you for having me thank you and ladies and gentlemen we want to make sure that you can find barb and all her locations so i know that her website is barba Allen, Barbara Allen speaks.com. And where can we find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Barb Allen speaks. I just joined parlor Barb Allen. So I'm I did the same thing too. I never get Barb Allen, but I got it on parlor <laughs> and our website is American snippets.com. That's okay. where our, that's where our work is. Perfect. So go to American snippets.com. I, I mean, if you guys aren't interested in her story, I just don't understand why not, because it's an amazing story of, of heartbreak and then finding out that you thought it was going to get revenge or something and it never happened. But instead of focusing her life on that, she has focused her life on, on becoming a better human being for every, for everybody pretty much. So thank you so much, Barb. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the post traumatic survival podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show. We appreciate you and them. 
Until next time, survivors.